back in May, I attended the Festival of Homiletics in San Antonio. Now, this is a preaching conference for those of us who are nerds when it comes to preaching. It's just a nerdy conference for preachers, and it's all about preaching, and you hear preaching, and you talk about preaching. And I told all of you before I went that I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was sure I was going to come back with something new to do and something new to try. And we've been doing that with something called the Narrative Lectionary. Now, the Narrative Lectionary is one, it, it selects a scripture for you each Sunday during the year, um, like some other lectionaries, but this one has two assumptions that it makes. First, it makes the assumption that the natural start of things in our society is the start of the school year. And so the lectionary starts in September. And then the second assumption that the narrative lectionary makes is that we can no longer assume that the people in our pews, the people in our congregations are completely familiar with scripture. We can no longer assume that people know the story from the beginning to the end of God and God's gift of salvation. And so what the narrative lectionary does is that it starts in Genesis and it will work its way all the way through the entire Bible in about nine months. And I said, you know what, let's give it a try. Because I agree with those two assumptions. I think those two assumptions are strong. And I asked a couple of members of the congregation, what do you think? And we thought we'd give it a try. That's why we've been in the Old Testament for three and a half months now. We started at the beginning and we worked our way through. And, and we met Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. And we followed them as Jacob's family settled in Egypt. And then we watched as they fell into slavery and we watched as Moses was raised up and went to the people and said, let's go, let's get out of here. And they fled Egypt in a single night called the Exodus. They crossed the Red Sea and they came into the wilderness. And we watched as they wandered around for 40 years. And then we saw God lead them into the promised land. And we saw the Israelites settle kind of as tribal nations. They were sort of independent by tribes and they were, they were ruled by people called judges. And then we saw a united nation of Israel. We saw united under one king. We started out with Saul and we looked at Solomon and David as the kings of Israel. And then we saw the nation split in two. We had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we listened as prophets were raised up by God and the prophets said, uh-uh, uh-uh, get with the program. Stop worshiping those foreign gods and stick with, with the Lord. Stick with the Lord. And we watched as the people and particularly the kings, didn't listen to the prophets. And we saw the northern kingdom fall into exile first with Assyria. 150 years later, we saw the southern kingdom of Judah fall into exile with the Babylonians. Now, we're not going to cover it, but just trust me when I say this, that they don't stay in exile, that God brings the Israelites back 50 years after that, and they're brought back by two men named Ezra and Nehemiah. And they're allowed to do that because Babylon is conquered by the Persians. So we have the king of Persia that allows them to go back. Today marks the end of our journey in the Old Testament. Next week we're going to move on to the Gospel of John. And we're going to spend next week until Easter in the Gospel of John. And, and so we have spent time in the Old Testament looking at the story of the history of the Israelites and the history of God's gift of salvation and deliverance. And I'm looking forward to you coming and telling me what you thought about it if that was good time, if that was time well spent for you. Our scripture this morning says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be 
that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word has work to do. God's word goes out from God's mouth with a purpose to accomplish, and it doesn't come back empty. God's word is active and alive, and it goes out, and it does, and it has work. It had work to do with us in the Old Testament the last three and a half months. I confess, there were times that I wanted to ditch the lectionary. I didn't like the scripture it was giving me. I didn't want to preach it. I didn't, I didn't want to have to deal with it. But I stuck it out, and even in the weeks leading up to Christmas where I, I, I kind of wish that we were in the Advent stories and, and we still stuck it out, those were powerful words that needed to be spoken to this congregation in the last three weeks. So even, even in areas of the, of the church calendar where we don't expect to be in those scriptures, God's word still had work for us, still had a word for us to hear. And God's word is not done with us yet. God's word still has work to do here. One of the types of work that God's word has for us is that it nourishes us. It nourishes us. This whole passage that Robert read starts in the weirdest way. It says, hey guys, those of you who are poor, come over here and buy something to eat. Well, now that sounds a little strange. Tell them the poor to come over here and buy something. And it's not just something to eat. It's wine and milk. It's good stuff. And it's saying, those of you who don't have any money, come over here and spend your money and buy wine and milk. Buy the good stuff. Is that really what the passage says? Actually, it's not. Come and buy without money and without price. It's saying that the milk and the wine are free. It's saying that the good stuff is free. And the nourishment that we receive is good stuff. And it's free. Someone that I used to know shared with me her experience growing up in a family that needed to go to food pantries on a regular basis. And she shared with me her experience of coming home with, with canned goods that she just didn't care for. She still won't eat cream corn or spam to this day because she got enough of it as a child coming from food pantries. And she remembers receiving a, a blanket, a, a quilt, from one pantry that in its heyday, that quilt would have been beautiful, but by the time she received it, it was ripped and torn and had holes and stains, and it was an obvious hand-me-down that someone just decided to get rid of to give to somebody who maybe just needed something, but they didn't want to pony up the money to give something. And so when this family got back on their feet again, when they were back on their feet again, every week that they would go to the grocery store, the mother would tell the children to pick out something for the food pantry. They gave back to the food pantry every single week, but the mother was very precise. And she told her children, buy the things that we use at home. If they drank Folgers coffee, it was Folgers coffee that they were going to donate. If they ate Kraft macaroni and cheese, then they were buying Kraft macaroni and cheese. Del Monte vegetables. She said, if we're not going to eat or drink it at home, then why should we ask somebody else to do the same? We're going to give what we partake. And it was the idea only to give the name brands, only to give 
the good stuff, was the idea. God's word nourishes us with the good stuff. God's word fills us with the good stuff that is free. It's free. God gives God's word to us for free. And when we take it in, when we spend time in scripture, when I use the phrase swimming, when we swim in the word of God, it will fill us up and nourish us. And not with minimal stuff, but with the good stuff. And we receive it for free. Another piece of work that God's word has for us is to change us. To change us and transform us. The scripture says that just as the seed is given to the sower, so that it will spring up, it will bring up growth, so God's word works in us. God's word does not sit in us dormant. God's word doesn't sit in us and do nothing. God's word gets into us and changes us, transforms us, makes us better people, better citizens, better family members, better followers, better Christians. If you don't want to change, then don't read Scripture. Because when you read Scripture and engage in Scripture, it will change you. It will challenge you, comfort you, uplift you, and transform you. Beginning in January, this church is going to embark on a new Bible study. We're going to start the first week of January. We're going to be reading a study called Jesus in the Gospels. And it's a 30-week study. And every week, every day, there's going to be readings to be had, and there's going to be small group discussions. Now, that's what the curriculum says. In reality, how can you not spend 30 weeks in Scripture and not be changed? We're going to be reading about Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How can you spend time with Jesus every single day and not be changed and transformed? The group that's going to read this 30 weeks from now, we're going to be different. We're going to be challenged, uplifted, we're going to be comforted, and we're going to be changed. We're going to read how these authors depict Jesus so that we can see what are they trying to tell us about Jesus. And then how do we let Jesus into our hearts? To change us. God's word nourishes us with the good stuff, and that good stuff's going to change us. That good stuff is going to change us and transform us. When we read scripture, the God that we find is a God of love and mercy. Actually, the God we find is a God of abundant love and mercy. When we read about love and mercy, it will change our experience with God. It will change our experience with Jesus, and we will experience that abundant love and mercy. So God's word works in us to nourish us, and then it changes us. Our scripture says that God's word goes out with purpose, and that it does not return until that purpose is accomplished. Well, the way I read that, if we are readers of scripture, and if we allow scripture to change us, then we are also a part of the purpose of God's scripture, what God wants that scripture to do in the world, it's going to be done through those of us who read it and allow it to change us. There is a word in this passage that I talked about probably a year ago, and since it's been a while since we've talked about it, we're going to talk about it again. And it's the beautiful word hesed. It is a Hebrew word that in the English we often translate as steadfast love, loving kindness, faithful love, and this passage is translated as steadfast 
good love, steadfast, steadfast, pure love. And this Hebrew word is just too nuanced for English to grasp it, which is why we're pulling at straws by saying loving kindness or steadfast love. There's just more to it than that. This word has said has a foundation to it. It has a mooring to it. It's saying that it's rooted, that it is moored to something. This love that is unconditional, this love that does not change because it is so deeply rooted that it stays in place. It's a love that we can depend on. It's a love that does not change. It is a love that is there for us that we can tie up to and draw from. It is a part of the divine character of God. And our passage is talking about how abundant that is. How abundant that love is. And how that love acts in our life and changes us. The Israelites were the first witness of this abundant love and mercy. Jesus is the ultimate example and witness of God's abundant love and mercy, and then we become witnesses of that abundant love and mercy. When God's word works in us and transforms us, we have a story to tell. Now, many people don't like to talk about their faiths, and quite frankly, I think it's true in Methodists more than some other denominations. We just don't want to talk about it. We don't talk about the role that Christ has in our lives. We don't, we don't want to go to somebody and, and talk about our faith. And I think a lot of it is because we're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. Or maybe we think we don't know enough scripture to quote certain things. Or we think the other person's going to know more than us and quote different things back to us. And, and those conversations kind of, some people just have a tendency to avoid them. I want to give you two thoughts on that. God's love is abundant and merciful and for all people. That means the person that you're talking to is already loved by God. There's absolutely nothing that you can say that's going to change God's love for them, and there's nothing that you can say that's going to change God's love for you. There's no risk as far as love is concerned. And the second thing is all you have to do is tell your story. You just tell your story of how God's word has worked in your life how your relationship with Jesus has influenced your life. It's your story. It's unique. It's beautiful. It's special. It's you. And all it is is a story. God loves that person already. Your story's just going to add to it. Just share what you know. Share what you know. God's word has work to do. It has a purpose. It nourishes us with good stuff that's free, and it changes us, transforms us, changes our relationship with Christ, the ultimate example of God's love and mercy. Today we lit a candle for joy. May we receive God's word with joy, and may we share God's word with joy. For you shall go out in joy, and be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. May each of us and this congregation be an everlasting sign of God's abundant love and mercy, of the nourishment and the transformation. May we be an everlasting sign of joy and hope.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.